All right, perfect. So, uh, yeah, welcome to episode 133. Uh, welcome as well to Matt Gibson, who is on the line, uh, who was one of those very lucky fans to be able to make it to the Amex last night. Uh, he's feeling good. He's all pepped up on AstraZeneca as well. Uh, so he is he is flying high. Matt, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Josh. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, very good after last night, uh, well, as I, I imagine you are incredibly <laughs> so. Um, I'm a bit tired, to be honest, but... Uh... But what a night, incredible night. Yeah, I think that for me, like at the very beginning of everything, my my honest to God thought was the the result isn't a huge deal. Like the main thing is getting the fans back and enjoying the moment. Because mm. the reality was in my head that we weren't likely to pick up a result against the champions of England going full strength as kind of their Champions League warm-up. Um but of course, everything changed greatly with that red card. Um, in terms of that kind of the fans return, the pregame experience, how was what group were you? What priority group were you? And how was it getting tickets? I know it pretty much went all the way down to the final group. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I ended up picking one up on the exchange because um, I was a My Album Plus member this season. So, um, I wasn't a season ticket holder, so I, I ended up picking one up in the West Stand. Um, I paid more than I'd usually pay, but it was just one of those things where I just couldn't miss it, you know. <laughs> so I was happy to go along on my own and just sit, sit next to some strangers and just enjoy the soak it all in, you know. But it was um, it was it was a bit strange to begin with. I have to admit, like um, you know, I got the train in and. Obviously, you know this whole idea of us social distancing. It was never gonna. It was never gonna work on the train. Um, <laughs> but, you know, by the time we got to the ground, um, it was it was kind of like a sort of sort of somewhat subdued um, atmosphere to begin with. I think it took a while for people to kind of you know get used to being back. Um, and you know there was dust and cobwebs all over the seats and stuff like that, which was really weird. Um, but um, it didn't take long for things to uh, to liven up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can imagine, right? Like, it's been pretty much 18 months since we've had that amount of people in the stadium. Like, I can yeah. imagine that it is, uh, it, it is a weird experience for everybody after the last, you know, year and a half of wild stuff that's been going on. I think that that kind of subdued thing is probably to be expected. Um, yeah. Just while people are kind of finding their feet again and like feeling whether they're comfortable or not doing the things that they used to do exactly. um, it's it's great that you got one on the exchange though I, I mean i know that it went all the way to the last the last group until it sold out and i think that i don't think it was for lack of demand i think it was probably the timing of it like a tuesday night against yeah. the champions who probably are going to bash us in there in <laughs> lots of fans opinions and it was quite late notice as well um and of course, there's a lot of people who haven't been vaccinated. So I think it was probably a big combination of the bunch that people were like, no, I'll probably skip this one. Um, so, mm. But you were lucky enough to get a hold of it. So in terms of the game itself, uh, how was the how was the pregame experience in terms of the, the, the food, the catering, everything like that? Was everything kind of back to normal or was it kind of skeleton crew still? Yeah, it was very, very skeleton crew. There was um, some catering outside, like the fish and chips uh, was open. Um, no, no drinks uh, anywhere on the ground. Um, there, you know, people were drinking on the train and outside the ground, but uh, only stuff they brought with them. So there was no beer sale anywhere. 
um, except for in the lounges, I believe, um, like, you know, on the, in the West End. But it, yeah, the um, 1901 stuff and that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think perhaps that contributed a bit to the sort of the, the tempered atmosphere to begin with. It wasn't, you know, a usual game by any stretch of the imagination. You know, um, you, know you didn't have like fans congregating in the concourses or anything like that. So, um, yeah, but I think it was just a sort of, you know, the calm before the storm, so to speak. Yeah. Because um, none of us could have uh, really anticipated what was going to happen. Um, so maybe there was that, you know, oh, well, it's Man City. Oh, it's 8,000 fans. Oh, there's no beer. Well, we'll just, in, you know, make the best of it kind of thing. Yeah, um, definitely. But, you know, they were, <laughs> they were definitely in for a, a big a big surprise. So, yeah, yeah, they really were. Um so in terms of like, before we get to the formation, because there was one change in there that I, I'd been talking about for a couple of weeks, actually, and they actually went ahead and did it, which I didn't think they would. But the new home kit was revealed kind of by surprise. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of out of nowhere. They just dropped it on Twitter saying those shorts look different, don't they? And I was like, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then they were like, yeah, here's the new kit. Um, it's pretty yeah. similar to the one I'm wearing now, actually. What did you what did you think to it? I love it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, I did like last season's or this season's kit uh, with the collar and the, you know, the eighties retro kind of style, with the pinstripes, but you know, I guess it's not for everyone. You know, it's, it's, it's a funny one. Um, I think you either love it or you hate it. Um, but yeah, when they took all their training tops off, you know, literally in unison, <laughs> which I thought was like really cool. And then this new kit and everyone was like, wow, what is that? You know, and it just looked like classic Albion, you know, with the, yep. the you know, the, but the proper stripes, um, even down on the sleeves as well, which was different. Um, and then uh, I think it's got like a blue, a blue back for the, for the number and the name. Yep. And then they kind of, I like the fact that they've kept the the yellow stripes down the the you know the inside on either side which is I think one of the nicer parts from the previous kit. So um yeah, all, all, all together I think it's a great kit and uh yeah, what a what what a day to uh to showcase it. Yeah, it's it's very unlike Albion as well because I feel like we're always left waiting to the last minute to see what our kits look like. I feel like we're almost waiting until preseason, and then all of a sudden this year they've they've popped out and like yeah, here it is. Um, <laughs> so that was nice. Uh, I'll be interested to see what away kit they go for. I am honestly really hoping for a return to that green and black. You know, the really bright yeah. green and black stripe kit because that's one of my favorite away kits oh, yeah. ever. I think. Um, I think even, it's also one I just I also associate it heavily with Vicente, so I think that mm. that also makes my <laughs> uh, my appreciation for the kit hugely as well. So, yeah, that would be really cool, um, or even something similar to the green kit we had, um, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Um, either would be good, but I think green is the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, lineup and formation. I've been saying on on the show a couple of weeks constantly a couple of weeks at Trossard, although he's obviously a good player and he is a bit of a uh, creation piece for us. He's a big piece of the puzzle for us creation wise. He just looked off it the last couple of weeks. And I was saying, you know, we could probably do with giving him a rest and giving people like Tao or Maka or somebody else a chance to, to go in there. I didn't expect it to ever happen. I, you know, cause he is so important to Potter's idea of how he wants us to play, but 
that is what happened. Um, there was not much of a change in terms of the formation itself, but McAllister came in as a kind of light for light replacement with Trossard. Um, what was the what was the feeling in the stadium when you got the lineups popped through? Um, I, to be honest, I mean, with, with Potter, you never know what's going to happen. And I'm always <laughs> consistently surprised by something. Um, I thought Tao was probably going to get a start, to be honest, because he came on as a sub for the last 15 minutes against, um, God, who did we play last? I can't even remember. Um, West Ham. And, yep. uh, you know, yep. he had a really good, had a really good game, had a great assist. And I thought, okay, he's just priming him for the Man City game. And then he wasn't playing, so I don't know what what, what was behind that. But um, when I saw McAllister playing, I was quite pleased. I like McAllister. I, I want to see more from him. Um, and then, yeah, equally, I thought, yeah, like you, Trossard's been a bit sort of hit and miss. Um, looked a bit, perhaps a bit tired, like you say. Maybe maybe needed a rest. So it kind of made sense for him to drop out. But um, yeah. That was only short-lived. <laughs> it was short-lived because I, I remember I sat down and it was my wife's birthday yesterday. And originally we were supposed to be going to Florida, but there's been a huge gas shortage. Like all the petrol has ran out over here. I don't know if you've read about that. Oh, really? Yeah. One of the pipelines has been hacked. So wow. they couldn't pump gas anywhere for a good like four or five days. And it just like everybody was like panic buying petrol, which was outrageous. Um, so we ended up not being able to go. And she was like, you can just watch the game. Like, just watch it. Like, it is what it is. So I was like, obviously not going to turn down a good thing, especially on her birthday. So I watched it and I turned around to her and I was like, if we can just keep it quiet for that first kind of 10 minutes, we could grow into this at 90 seconds in. Yeah. Mares, uh, Big Dan Byrne kind of stepped off him a little bit, gave him the space, whips it in. And, and Gundogan, who is so not a tall player, <laughs> no. just pops in at the back post and puts it in the back of the net. Yeah, it was all a, a complete blur to me, to be honest with you. I was just kind of, you know, settling into the game, um, getting used to being back in the ground, you know, looking around the stadium. And I was kind of like half trying to follow the action. And then before I knew it, I'd looked away for, you know, five seconds and they'd scored. Um, yeah, I, I saw it again on the replay on the, on the, um, on the big screen. And uh, yeah, Mares is, I think probably one of their best players this season. Um, and yeah, you, you put him in the box, one-on-one, be Dan Byrne, and there's only <laughs> only going to be one outcome. But yeah, Gundogan on the back post was a surprise. But um, yeah, Sanchez seemed to make a bit of a mess of it. I'm not sure quite um, what he was thinking, um, but it seemed like a soft goal, um, you know, especially two minutes into the game, so... Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was just a catalogue of of errors. I think Big Dan Bird yeah. stepping off of Mares and allowing him to get the ball in. Uh, yeah. Pascal Gross didn't track Gundogan at all, um, and then of course Sanchez not being able to stop it, mm. kind of where you would expect him to be able to, was all a bit of a mess. Um, but luckily, it didn't look like they were too. You know, the Albion kind of got back to it and within minutes almost really wasn't it it was only about eight minutes later uh yeah. Cancelo attempts to try and bring the ball down um totally misses it and allows Welbeck in um mm. there was a bit of argy-bargy uh Cancelo kind of hooks Welbeck's arm Welbeck goes down I think quite softly um and he's given the straight red card for the for the goal scoring opportunity um mm. 
what was your thought or the, especially in the stadium you know what what was the stadium like when when that happened did you all were you in a good position to see it live or did you all kind of have to go to the screens and and do you get to see the VAR decisions on the screens there because I know they were discussing bringing it and then taking it away bringing it taking it away what was the final verdict there um yeah well I was I was the opposite end of uh the the, the ground from where where that took place so I was in Northwest uh, and I think it was, yeah, it was in the away end um, on the other side of the the pitch. So it was difficult really to see what had happened until I saw the replay. Um, I just saw, you know, a bundle of bodies hit the deck and not really sure, you know, what had happened exactly. But looking back, you know, I thought, well, is that, you know, denial of a goal scoring chance? Well, yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, it didn't feel conclusive, but I wasn't, you know, going to complain if uh, if they sent him off. And yeah, I mean, it was a complete game changer. But the ref really didn't hesitate that for that long. I mean, I'm sure that the fans had an impact, you know, because refs have not been, you know, used to having fans in grounds for, you know, eight. What is like fourteen months or longer? Yeah. Um, and you know it's you can't underestimate the the impact of you know at least eight thousand fans. Um, yeah, um, well, yeah, getting heads up about about that. So um, yeah, I think it was probably the right decision. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I think- like- I think it's the bonus, right? I think that's what we talk about when it comes to VAR and this is how it's supposed to be used is that was it a clear and obvious error? And I think mm. every time you watch it, there is an argument for saying, yes, he was he should have been sent off. And there's also a very valid argument to say, eh, that's a very, very, very soft red card. But if he's given it, is it a clear and obvious mess up? Like, has he really screwed it? And I think the answer is definitely no. Like, I don't think he has made a clear and obvious error. I think that if he had given him a yellow card and moved on and VAR reviewed it, I think they probably would have left it as a yellow card too. Um, And and that's one of those ones that frustrate greatly when it goes against us. We all know about that, especially the Albion fans this year. But, you know, I think that at that point, I can understand why it was done. Uh, Mm. City fans obviously do not. Ferran Torres went off shortly afterwards, which I think was the best thing that could happen to us because he had been in fire form lately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then 20 minutes later, Jahanbach with that challenge on Gundogan, Gundogan. Um, what point do you, well, what was your thought or the stadium's thoughts in the ground? What was the murmuring going on? Because on an initial challenge from the telly, which is obviously a lot more, conclusive because you see so many different replays it yeah. looked it looked like nothing and on on replay it looked a lot worse <laughs> um yeah. he looked he looked very late he looked very high in real time even in replays on real time it doesn't look too bad when it goes to slow-mo it looks awful what was your what were the fans thoughts there as well to be honest um, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I definitely felt that it looked bad from my from my angle as well. Um, yeah, I think he just uh, it was a boot in the midriff or something, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was right on his kind of inner thigh. Inner thigh, that's it. Yeah, um, he was late. 
um, it, it it did it did look bad, and I think you know you hear you hear more. I think when you're when you're at the game watching it live, yeah. Um, you know, certainly like players screaming, you know, and even though they tend to over, you know, to exaggerate it, um, it still looked bad. So, um, but uh, yeah, worthy of a yellow for sure. Yeah, that's yeah for <laughs> sure. Um, couple of minutes later, Welbeck goes down off the ball. Um, he was, it was immediately obvious that it was his hamstring. He was pointing to it the minute he got to the floor. Um, mm. So you kind of knew right away that his, his kind of, well, his season was over because he's probably not going to be ready for Arsenal in a couple of days either. Um, no. And a lot of people were calling for Tao or Zakiri to come on. Um but instead, Welbeck got the call up after 30 minutes of being dropped. He was back in starting 11. Um, so it was a very brief uh, kind of loss for, for Trossard. He was straight in. Um, and from then on, I think that, you know, I think that from then on, we were we were all over going into halftime. Uh, I think you you noted attacking down the left, we were just having a field day. Burn, yeah. Trossard, Moda. It yeah. was just outrageous. Um yeah, absolutely. I think bringing Trossard on for for Welbeck, I mean, obviously the decision was kind of made easier for Potter by the fact that Welbeck was injured, but I wonder whether he might not have brought him on early anyway, because he gave him that free role and um, it basically just meant that we had one man who was just impossible to mark, um, especially against 10 men. So um, I thought it was... It, it, yeah, it basically provided a lot more freedom uh, for him to link the play down the left. And, you know, Moda was having a lot of joy, um, Dan Byrne as well. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, and he probably ended up changing the game completely um, from the moment he came on and also later on, which we'll talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that his substitution was the biggest game changer of everything. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, for the rest of the half, it looked like we were all over and really, you know, we, we really picked it up. Everything looked like we were, we were getting a good kind of bit of momentum going. We'd created a couple of really good opportunities. Pascal Gross came very close. Um, we were, I think we had 60% possession for that 15 minute period against Manchester City, which is in very, you know, very rare, even with 10 men. Um, we'd hammered her on shots. We'd hammered her on just about everything and, and we couldn't make it count. But I thought that, and I, I tweeted it too at half time. I was like, we're still well in this. Like we are, yeah. we are, if anything, I think we're in a position to to come forward and get a goal. And as soon as the, the half kicked off, Phil Foden grabs it in his own half and just walks almost through the entire defense. Um, then yeah. why I was wondering why he didn't just take him down beforehand, just take the yellow card and take him out. <laughs> I think there's perhaps a, you know, sort of a flashback to what happened with Dunk. Um, yep. I mean, even though he wasn't the last man by any stretch, um, it was a burst of pace, I think, probably on the halfway line that took him past White and then he just couldn't couldn't catch him. Um, or at least, you know, he, he was close to catching him, but Foden did well at sort of fending him off. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, fantastic goal. I mean... Yeah, what a player he's going to be, um, already is. But yeah, I think probably White was a bit out of position. He was probably too high. Um, I think they, you know, there was, you know, by the end of the game, they were playing with one at the back with Webster. Um, yep. <laughs> with, <laughs> with White and Byrne pushing up. And I think that was the beginning of of that 
sort of tactical decision um, and uh, City exploited it very quickly. Um, but, you know, they stuck to their guns and it paid off in the end. But I was going to mention, I think it was um, before the Foden goal, possibly at the end of the uh, first half, that there was a there was a big miss from Gross. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was saying before this game, I think after the West Ham game, um, you know, controversial opinion, what we need is not, you know, a striker, but somebody who can play the final ball because I seem to think like we're, we're, get, we're getting into great positions with our build-up play um, and sometimes the final ball is just not there. Yeah, okay, sometimes we're, you know, there's nobody in the box to score anyway. Um, but in this case, the ball was great. You know, it was a fantastic move down the left and Moda sort of cuts inside and cuts back to Gross and he just completely, uh, <laughs> completely screwed it up. Yeah, he Which is a shame. It. Yeah. I don't know if it was on his weak foot on the left. Yes, probably his weak foot on the left. So maybe there's something to be said for that. And he's not, a, you know, a, a, a poacher by any stretch of the imagination. But um, you'd think he'd do better with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, every credit to Potter, though, uh, who has been under some criticism from myself and, and others recently. Not recently, but pretty much also this season with his game management he tends mm. to line up well and then not adapt quickly enough for a lot of people, yeah. myself yeah. included. Yeah. Um, no conversation there this time, though. Immediately yeah, after the second goal, Adam Lalana on, Jan Bakshoff, and a, and a slight change of shape, slightly more narrow uh, with those wingbacks being allowed to absolutely fly at people as, as and when they wish. Like you said, it pretty much became one at the back um, with White and Byrne being able to fill in as well. And yeah. I think from then on, and I think you said the same thing here, the, the, the formation in the Lalana sub just changed everything uh, in terms of the tide. We, we, we started to certainly come on top at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, when Monaro, we went from a sort of 3-5-2 to sort of a 3-4-2 with a Trossard in that kind of free roll. So, um, yeah, and yeah, they were tearing them apart after that. And it was an interesting... Um, turn of events which led to the the Trossard goal because I think if I'm correct it was a sort of a pressure from the midfield um, that forced one of the City players to pass back and Trossard was just there waiting for it um, and yeah the, the City defence just were all over the shop uh, which is rare to see especially from people like Diaz and Stones but uh, yeah he took his time to pick his spot <laughs> He did. Um, and I think there was two things there. I think that one, it was a rare treat to see him truly just run at defenses. I feel like we've missed yeah. seeing him do that. I feel like we've seen him not do that enough when we know he's capable of it. Um, and then the goal itself, I, it was the longest two and a half seconds of my <laughs> life, I think, because I could feel myself getting more and more annoyed of like just hit the ball <laughs> and he just kept dancing sideways in that box. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, he smashed it into the back of the net. Uh, and you could feel it um, in the stadium just from just from the TV. Oh, yeah. Like You could feel the entire change of attitude from the fans. Absolutely. Um, so I can only imagine how it was like in the stadium because it absolutely flipped on its head from, just from the mics. We could hear it. It was... Yeah, it just came alive. Like um, suddenly there was belief, you know, and the fans were just... It was so loud. I mean, 8,000. I was just going to say at the beginning, um, 
you know, you could compare it to some of the matches where there's been a full capacity at the Amex. We've, you know, we've had criticism for being, you know, a little bit of a quiet stadium, maybe, you know, where there's not much atmosphere. But I mean, my God, 8,000 of us and it was just raucous, you know. So, yeah, I'm not sure... Uh, uh, why that was the case? Maybe the space kind of made the, you know, the, the space between people sort of uh, let the uh, the noise kind of reverberate more or something, uh, rather than being soaked up in in bodies or something. I don't know. I'm not a sound specialist, but it was really loud. Um, but I was going to say um, about the Trossard goal. I was thinking, you know, not to sort of uh, bash uh, Neil Mope too much. Um, but had it fallen to him in that position um, and he'd taken two and a half seconds to find his spot, I think we could probably, you know, with some certainty say that he would have not scored. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. <laughs> um, it was nice to see him put it in uh, and I was, uh, I'll, be, I'll be the first to admit, I was a little bit worried that we were going to start seeing them come back at us, even with the 10 men, because this is still... You know, Manchester City, they're still a great side. Um, and given the fact that the Albion struggled to, I mean, they didn't. I was going to say they struggled to, but they just outright couldn't break down a 10-men Sheffield United. Uh, you just never know with the Albion as to whether they're going to break down again or whether they're going to keep pushing. Um, between the first goal and the second goal for the Albion, uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, but the Albion had 82.8% possession between the first goal and the second so in that 20 minutes between uh, the 50th minute goal and the 72nd minute, that Man City had the ball 17%. That's never happened in, yeah, in a, for a Pep side. Um, and they didn't have a single shot. Their pass success rate just fell out its ass. It was just awful for them. Um, <laughs> and you could feel it, couldn't you? I, I'm sure you could in the stadium. Like You were like, there, there's only one team that's going to score here, and I truly think we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it came down to... Um... A, a question of leadership and you know when you see Ruben Diaz being put on his ass twice by Trossard and then for him to take his time and pick a spot and score the way he did and for the atmosphere and the ground to change the way it did I mean the City players are probably looking around and thinking okay we're in trouble here who's going to be the one to step up you know and their leader who's been fantastic all season was just completely humiliated so I think it's probably um, something to do with that, that, you know, City just fell apart after that. Um, I think, you know, like you said about the, uh, the, the the possession stats, I think by the end of the game, they had 36% possession, which is their lowest, um, yeah, the lowest possession of any Pep Guardiola side in history. Yeah. Which is some stat. Especially um, when you consider he's played with 10 men plenty of times. You know, it's not yeah. it's not his first it's not his first ever game where he's had to play with 10 men. Like this yeah. guy pro- this guy probably trains once a week 10 men drills, like intensively. Sure. Um so for us to still go ahead and do that, it was almost and uh, Jim Proudfoot was on the commentary for the US and he's generally I I rate Jim Proudfoot a lot. Um, and he said the same thing. He was like, it was uh, similar to boxing, right? Like styles make fights. It was probably the worst team to go down to 10 men against in the league, even despite, you know, Liverpool and Manchester United and all these teams being around going down 10 men to us and still being the team mid city are, it was probably the worst team they could have gone down to 10 against because we play in that way that it's just going to be so perfect to, to combat their style. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said about, you know, Potter making that tactical switch uh, at the right time. Um, yeah, I agree. He hasn't always been the quickest to to make those decisions, but uh, yeah, this time it, it paid off big time. And um, yeah, what an impact Trossard had. Um, incredible. But, you know, I think we, we can't sort of um, overlook the fact that, you know, Gross still has to make a pinpoint cross. Webster still has to, you know, um, find that header um, up against Fernandinho. Who I don't think he even jumped for the ball, which is a bit odd. Um, but yeah, fantastic goal. And by that point, the, the place was just absolutely rocky. Yeah, and and the cross in from Gross was excellent. Uh, yeah. I think it came from a, a short corner routine that was quite a good one, and it just never found its way into the box. I think it was you know, yeah. cleared out once or twice. And I think it was maybe McAllister kind of switched the ball entirely over. Um, and, and Gross's cross was just sublime. It just was yeah. dropped, dropped on an absolute dime. Um, and and Webster was still up. Byrne was still up from the corner. And it, it was just a perfect storm for him to nod it into the back of the net. Um, I think Webster probably ran three quarters of the length of the pitch in celebration. <laughs> he was a very happy boy. Um, yeah, <laughs> there was, and at that point, to me, I thought like I, I generally sat there. I was like, "We're going to bloody win this. We're actually going to win it." Like you could feel it. It was like we aren't going to sit back here. Like we've got their number now, um, and you could just hear in the crowd it was just incredible. It was so good. Um, by that point, I suspect the crowd was mental in terms of knowing how it was going to go from there. Yeah, I think it was after the Trossard goal. Um, yeah, and we had all that, that that massive spell of possession that you just mentioned. I texted my dad and I said, we're going to win this 3-2. <laughs> he was like, okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, the Webster goal. Um, and then five minutes later, big damn burn. I mean, I was so, I, I was so desperate for him to get a goal um, this season because I just, I think he's so underrated. A lot of, a lot of fans just don't get it with him. They'd say, oh, you know, I can't stand Burn, can't stand Gross. And they're probably two of the most influential players in that game. Um, yep. Without question. You know, you take those guys out of the lineup and you got not much. Um, so, yeah. And he was just a man possessed <laughs> in that box. He really was. Um, he has been well worth a goal for a while now as well. Like, I agree yeah. with you. He has been, you know, the... I think the only reason I I don't see Dan Byrne as a starting eleven player full time is because I just mm. he's too prone to bad games sometimes, um, and I think we need to. I think Dunk Webster and White are not um, mm. compared to him in terms of that, and I think obviously at left wing back if Solly marches fit, I'd rather have Solly. Um, yeah. But I mean his performance yesterday, and I think it was Talk Albion in the chat said, and and they're absolutely correct that that first goal was Burns' only mistake at the game. After that, he was mm. just almost perfect all the way through. Um, yeah. And when he made that run and the ball was passed to him, uh, from my vantage point, which is on the sofa, I thought he was offside. Um, did it Did it look that way? Was that kind of the idea from you lot in the stadium or did you just think like, now nah, that's in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was complete euphoria, to be honest. But um, looking back at it, I can't remember whether I, you know, I watched the the highlights on the screen or what, you know, when I got back. But I did think he was marginally offside, and I was very surprised that VAR didn't check it. 
but this is another thing that I wanted to bring up earlier on about VAR again. I mean, I, I know it's a, a really tiring subject to keep talking about, but yeah. being, being back in the stands again uh, after so long, I think what we um, lose sight of, you know, getting, you know, become having become so used to watching games on TV for so long is that it's often impossible to know what is going on with VAR when you're in the stand. Um, because, you know, you do see um, it flash up on the screen saying a check has been, you know, is taking place. But sometimes these checks have been happening within the flow of the game. And those, 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 those announcements don't come up until there's been a break in play. And then it says, you know, checked penalty, no penalty. Like for, with the example with Lalana towards the end, which we'll probably get on to. Um, yep. But it's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to follow, I have to admit. You would think that with the amount of time they've had out of stadiums, they would have found a way to make it more clear for you all. I mean, every yeah. stadium has huge screens these days. How difficult would it be to go to, you know, the sky coverage of the, whatever they're showing us on the TV of what VAR is looking at? I feel like it would be so simple and straightforward. Um, yeah, or even the stadium announcer. Um, you know, why couldn't he link up with with the VAR somehow <laughs> and just, you know, announce to the fans within the flow of the game, uh, like you would say with the attendance or however many minutes is left, you know, VAR check, simple as that. Um, yeah, it's a baffling one for me. Um, you'd never get that in other, you know, major sports. Um, it's It just seems baffling that we don't have that. Yep, exactly. I agree with you. Um, and, you know, three, two up. We did let them come back into it in that kind of final five minutes, as you would expect, I think, at that point. Uh, I think it's only natural that you start to to back off a little bit and allow these, you know, that team to start pushing. Uh, mm. I think I think from about ninety minute, eighty eight minutes onwards, they they dominated. You know, they had the ball a lot more than us. They were all over it, um, but ultimately didn't create a huge amount except for us with that poor back place pass backwards that almost let them in for the equaliser. Um, yeah. Obviously, Garcia skied it over. Uh, which was wonderful. And from then on, I think that was it. You, Everybody knew that was the last chance they were probably going to have. Um, and and that was it. And the full-time whistle went. And all of a sudden, the camera pans around and half of Pep's coaching staff were kicking <laughs> off with Graham Potter. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it because I saw it on Twitter this morning of what it was, like what Potter's celebration was in that first goal. And there was... It was nothing. It was it was a celebration I've seen Pep do a hundred times. Do you think it was just pure <laughs> sour grapes that they just were so upset that they'd been beaten, and it was that kind of kickoff? Absolutely, yeah. I, I don't buy Pep's argument in the slightest. I mean, if he understood for a second, like what kind of a season we've had, um, and that you know, finally, you know, calls are going our way, goals are going in, um, and we've beaten the champions at home in front of 8,000 fans for the first time in, you know, months. I'm sorry, but I don't buy his argument at all. I didn't see Potter's celebration, so I don't, you know, know exactly what he did. But from what you're saying, it sounds pretty tame. So it was, yeah, it was yeah. massively tame. He's literally just fist pumping and like did a little jog in his technical area. Um which is obviously hugely emotional for Graham, but at yeah. the same time, yeah. it's just not a huge, you know, I don't understand it. Um, full-time whistle yeah. went, everybody went, was very happy other than Pep. Um, and uh, <laughs> a lot of the players stayed on the pitch 
um, Sanchez gave his gloves away and was kind of doing a lot of chatting to a lot of uh, fans at the, at the end. Um, and Basuma was dancing away as well. How was the how was that end? Because I know they did a lap of honor there um, and everything towards the end of the game. So what was that like? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, most of most of, most of the eight thousand stayed to watch everything, so it was fantastic. And you know, the North Stand was just so loud. Um, uh, Shane Duffy was even there, I think, at the end. Um, went and signed something for a fan, which was a nice touch. I thought. Um, and Basuma's dance at the end there. I mean, yeah, I think we all pr- are pretty much resigned to the fact that he's leaving. So I thought, you know, that that was his way of saying goodbye, having a little dance in front of the North Stand. Um, but you never know. It, 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 I won't believe it until it happens. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. I think it will probably be the, I think that would be one of the biggest shocks in Albion Premier League history I think if he if we get Stays, information yeah. yeah if we get some kind of information in the next couple of weeks that he signed a new contract or something yeah um I would just be stunned I think that like you is just it's an inevitability and just enjoy him while we got him yeah definitely I mean I think it's it's clear what trajectory he's on but you know we never know with this Albion uh side at the moment you know they they have a propensity to to surprise um so yeah i think you have to wait just wait for it to happen before you believe it yeah i agree um man of the match yeah i mean i really struggled with this one because you know trossard you know obviously changed the game completely when he came on um and then he got the goal um you know, there were so many great performances, gross. Um, McAllister was, I think, you know, quietly effective without doing anything particularly um, obviously, you know, amazing. Um, Modo and Byrne, obviously, down the left, I thought were really effective and the goal. But I think you have to give it to uh, Webster because Dunk, you know, Dunk wasn't in the team because he was suspended. Right. Um, he was playing like, as a back one for, like, most of the second half. Um, he got the equaliser. And I think he had the most passes, um, most completed passes. I mean, he was just a kind of a, a monster everywhere. So I'm, I'm going to go Webster. Not a bad one. Trossard, for me, gets it. Yeah. Uh, I think he, like you said, I think he turned the game on his head. I think that everything yeah. before that was just outrageous. Um, and given, like, I think it also pens into the fact that I'd been so tame on in the last couple of weeks. I thought he had really gone <laughs> off the boil for him to then go and do that. Uh, mm. I was like, all right, well, that made me look an idiot, um, <laughs> which I love when that happens. Um, but he was just, I think he turned the entire game on his head. Um, I think, like you said, I think he was given that free role where he was yeah. able to essentially be the 11th man. Um, and and it changed everything. Um, yeah. I think yeah. there's an interesting thing to say about Trossard in relation to the Brighton um, team as it is at the moment and its identity as a whole. Because what we have is a player who is clearly a big game player. He's not in the least bit phased by, you know, going up against the Man Cities and Liverpools and, you know, putting goals past them with ease. Um, you know, he's he's a frightening player for any defence in the league. But he goes quiet against lesser opposition um, or, in, or in situations where, you know, he has less to prove, perhaps. Right. Um, and I think you could say the same about the our performances this season as a whole. 
And I think, you know, he encapsulates, his performances encapsulate the way the team has performed this season um, in some ways. So how, you know, we get beyond that sort of, you know, that trend and start, you know, being more, you know, uh, well, defending a lead without, you know, shitting shitting bricks is, would be one thing. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there was a point in this game when I thought, hey, you know, here we go again, City going to equalise. Um, but it didn't happen. I think maybe we can take some something from that and, yeah, you know, really kind of build on on, on the knowledge that we can get over the line. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, if we can do it against a team like Man City, we can, we can do it against just about anybody, right? Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think Arsenal played today, don't they, against Palace, I think, funnily enough. Um, yeah. And we've got a big one coming up against them at the end. Uh, mm. We've, I think we've matched our points total for that season already. So anything from Arsenal, I think, is our best season ever if we were to get a just a point. Yeah. Um, that would put us on 42, which which beats 41 from last year. Um, do you think it, would you like to see us uh, have a few fringe players come in? Or do you think, no, I'd rather us go for it and try and, you know, finish... 14th or 13th instead? Um, I'm pretty much the, I follow the consensus on this one that, you know, from what I've seen on Athletic and stuff like that, you know, put the strongest team out. This is, this is a chance to sort of um, put some of the ghosts of this season to bed, (laughs) Um, you know, and go out on a real high, Um, not to mention, you know, potential increase in prize money for, you know, finishing higher up in the league. Yeah, um, two million per place, I think. Yeah, so there you go. I mean I think if we win we could we could potentially finish as high as thirteenth, which would be, you know, unthinkable considering we were seventeenth. Uh and you know, in in some respects in a relegation battle um for most of the second half of the season. So yeah, go for it. Strongest team. Um, you know, and if we're winning two, three nil, then maybe, you know, some cameos, but I don't. I don't think uh, they should be too experimental. I think preseason's the time for that. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's a good point. When do you think, uh, in terms of that 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 kind of side, what do you think it's going to look like? Because obviously Dunk is back, so I imagine he will get straight back into the side. Mopai is not; he's done for the season because he's got that three match ban. Yeah. Um, who are you? Who are you dropping from that performance? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I know it's well, tough, isn't it? Because I'm thinking, I, can, uh, I don't know. Take, obviously, Welbeck's going to be injured. Um, I would be surprised if Jahan Bash starts. I think, you know, uh, that that chance he had and he just, you know, completely got it wrong, I think um, pretty much uh, has, has, has doomed his season, if I'm honest with you. Unfortunately, I, you know, I want him to do well, but it's just, I think it comes down to some questionable decision-making in certain situations. He can, he's one of those players, he can either, you know, just produce the the spectacular or the, just the complete, you know, uh, diabolical. So I would take Johan Bash off and I would probably put Moda on the right, um, assuming Belton's not going to be playing. And then uh, push Dan Burn up and put, um, yeah, Dunk back in the middle, Webster on the left. So... Other than that, I would probably keep it the same. I'm not sure. Yeah, Trossard for Welbeck and then 
I guess the question is, does Alzate play? Do you have Zakiri come on as a striker, or do you like because without Welbeck, we've got no out and out striker on there? Do you think that you would want to see someone like Zakiri come on, or would you rather have people like Tao and Trossard and almost play like a full Stein like they tried to play yesterday prior to the sending off? Yeah, I think there's a case for Tao. Um, and I think we may see the emergence of, of Brighton playing the false nine system much more next season. Um, so perhaps we'll see something like that against Arsenal. I mean, I, I, yeah. What's your take? I think that, I think not much different to you, really. I think obviously someone's going to have to lose their place um, mm. with, with Dunk coming back and, you know, Welbeck's obviously hurt and won't be playing, but it's tough to just shoehorn dunk in for Welbeck in some way, shape or form. I think it's almost just not doable. Um, yeah. I thought Zak- I thought Zakiri did well yesterday for the, for the small time he was on. Um, you know, if, mm. if Potter really thinks that he could lead the line, then I could see that happening. Um, mm. And, you know, what about Aaron Connolly as well? He was on the bench yesterday. Um, that was one of those ones that, you know, could come out of nowhere and, and get a start because he's so good at burning defences and Arsenal are shocking at the back. Um, so, I mean, that could be an option as well. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting if he does play. I don't think he will. I think he's, I think he's fallen so far out of favour for some, you know, a multitude of reasons this season that, you know, I think it's just a case of, you know, we'll reassess, you know, in preseason, he'll probably go out and loan as most people seem to to think. So, yeah, and I think Zakiri, you know, he, he came so close to uh, having some, some great chances against City. So maybe he is, you know, he's on that trajectory where he could bag a goal against Arsenal and finish the season with his, with his debut. So I'd go for Zakiri over Connolly. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, the consensus is that Connolly probably needs a year on loan somewhere. Yeah. Just from everything I've heard about him, sometimes he's a bit of a wildfire in the back. Uh, he certainly enjoys himself. I think going down to a championship team and, and having to fire in some goals down there could be quite good for his, just quite good for his ego almost. Um, unless he scores like 40 goals next year and then he's just coming back like the biggest ego ever. But if he does come <laughs> back with the biggest ego ever after 40 goals, he probably deserves it. So <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, somewhere around 30 is, is, is achievable for Connolly. Yeah. Um, awesome. So Arsenal next, uh, I think that I genuinely think we can get a point there. Um, and if we do, we beat our best ever, ever ranking. Um, in terms of, just before we drop off um, transfers and stuff, mm. obviously the obvious one is signing a striker in some way, shape or form, um, especially if we are letting others go out on loan. Um, are there any other names that you would like to see leave other than the obvious? Well, not that any of us would like him to leave, but Basuma probably being gone. Uh, are there any others that you would like to see leave that aren't, Obvious. I mean, I think David Proper is like pretty obvious that he'll be gone. Um, but in terms of the others, are there any others that you would like to see kind of cleared out? Uh, well, I think, yeah, Proper is probably leaving back to PSV. Um, 
Connolly on loan. Walton, I think, is leaving as well because he's out of contract. Um, I think there's still so many question marks over Ali Reza. Um, I just don't know how long we can <laughs> keep paying the, pay him the wages he's on uh, for the for the product that we're getting, you know. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. He's he's done nothing wrong around the dressing room and around the club in terms of how he's, you know, handled himself. You know, on all accounts, you know, he's he's been fantastic and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a key sort of member of the dressing room. But I just think, yeah, it's a lot of money for a, for a <laughs> for a morale booster yeah, yeah. exactly um but who would take him you know uh would he be prepared to you know take less money somewhere else i don't know i think there's a lot of question marks so yeah for that he would be the first on my on my list i think unfortunately um i'm gonna admit mikey into the room he's been on the chat um sure. he's just been able to pop in he was at the game yesterday as well hi mikey can you hear us we can't hear you yet. We still can't hear you yet. <laughs> While we wait for Mikey, I'll uh, try and think of anyone else. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Hey, can you hear us all right? Yes, I can. Let me turn Twitch off. There you go. Hello. Yeah, no worries. Uh, how's it going? How, how was your day yesterday? You went to the game as well. Uh, whereabouts were you situated in the stadium? Uh, I was in the west stand, I think, in the upper towards the south stand side. Um, yeah, so I only managed to, uh, only got a good, decent view of the Phil Foden goal. All the others were down the other side, which is a bit disappointing. <laughs> but uh, um, no, it's just brilliant to be there, um, see them play and weren't expecting that result. So brilliant. Where were you at, Matt? Where were you at in the stadium yesterday? I was the other. I was in the. I was in the, the north stand end and the west stand. Got it. Oh, yeah. so you were pretty much polar opposite. So you saw a lot yeah. of them, and and poor Mikey didn't see many. <laughs> um, in terms of the game itself, Mikey, uh, you know what was it like to be back? Did you go with friends, family, anybody like that? Uh, and, and what I was the buzz like? Because um, we've been. This is our first season of being season ticket holders, okay. which is uh, bad timing. But um, it was just just brilliant to go. Um, uh, I think we were in group priority three. Um, and yeah, we were just so pleased to go. We thought we weren't expecting to get anything from the game. It would just be good to see a game of football, see them play. Um, and then, you know, what happened happened. And uh, I had a rather croaky voice this morning. <laughs> the general consensus from Matt and I, and I think the majority of social media was a big fat yes to the new shirts. What were your thoughts on the new home shirts? Yeah, I loved them so much. I was there and I bought one there and then. Um, it's my first ever home shirt. So um, big yes for me. <laughs> I wasn't sure if they were going to have them for sale. I know they were doing a pre-order on the website. So I wasn't sure if they were going to have them in the stadium on the day of, because they usually kind of do them as a teaser. But I think it's also, like I said to Matt, I think it's the first time we've actually done that where we've wore them the season prior. We usually do it in like a pre-season game, which is like way out from now. Um, in terms didn't of they, the state, I'm sorry, go on. Sorry, Josh. Didn't they wear the pinstripes um, at the end of last season in one game? Oh, I think they did at Burnley. Yeah. Now you're saying that. 
because it was the Basuma goal, wasn't it? Yes, that was the one. Yeah, the screamer. Yeah, Um, (laughs) absolutely mental goal. Bisuma is obviously the talk of the town, Mikey. Uh, and I know you've been on the Twitch stream, so you've heard us talk about it a little bit. Um, what do you think? Do you think he's going? And if you do think he's going, what kind of price tag would you put on him? Oh, prices, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I don't know about price, but I think he definitely will be going. I know a lot of clubs are interested in him. Um, I know a lot of people know that. but um, And that's one of the reasons why I, I did want to go, is to see him most of all play and enjoy mm. him play and watch him there and just enjoy him while he was there you know um yeah he didn't disappoint in that regard no not at all not at <laughs> yeah all. he, he was, was just brilliant he was certainly given license to push forward as well once they went down to 10 men which i think just enabled him to play an even bigger all-round game um so Matt's man of the match was Webster. Mine was Trossard. Mikey, what was your? Who was your man of the match? Was it the same as one of those, my, or did someone else stand out? My initial thought when they were just about to announce it was Dan Byrne, because we know how good he is now. You know, winning headers. Uh, yes, he's not necessarily the quickest person, but um, especially after watching match of the day as well, where they showed it, just how much he runs as well. He just he's just everywhere. Um, and of course, he got his goal, which we've all been waiting for for ages and ages. So, yeah, I was so pleased when uh, when his goal went in. So, yeah, he would have been my choice, Dan Byrne. Nice. I mean, yeah, all three are worthy um, of it for sure. And I, I saw that you were saying on the check, the VAR check, when we were talking about VAR, and and you actually thought that the check on Lalana committing the foul was a penalty shout for us. It was that unclear to you, yeah. But, so do you want to expand on that in terms of when that So, Because I was at the opposite corner. Um, uh, yeah, I was at the opposite corner. Um, and so I couldn't 100% see what was going on. But I know that the player had stopped down near their box somewhere. And then when VAR flashed up on screen, um, I thought, oh, are we going to get a penalty here? Because it, it didn't necessarily say who they were checking, what they were checking. It just said yeah. VAR was checking. And it's like, what are they checking? Um, and then when it said for Lalana, I had to double, you know, read it again and go, hang on, what? And then obviously all became clear when I then watched it back. But it there and then you you realise actually when you're watching it on TV, the commentators are telling you what they're checking. You mm. can see what they're checking and you don't realise how unclear it actually is in the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? What do you think, both of you? Uh, what do you think they could do to fix that? Because to me, my solution would be simply just have a way of being able to air what is being done uh, on the TV in terms of the replays. It doesn't need, you know, you don't need to add the commentary to it. Just the screens put in what's happening because it it says very clearly, you know, on NBC or Sky Sports, you know. VAR check and you can see what the check is you can see what they're checking and without the commentator even saying anything you could see that it was you know Lalana's challenge on whoever it was so you would have known that it was against us um other than that do you think there's any other way that they could be doing it I don't know if either of you watched the NFL or anything like that but do you have any thoughts on the idea of the ref stopping the game or even having a mic and saying this is what we're checking for something like that yeah I know they do that in rugby as well but I I think the the biggest challenge is delaying the game any further. 
So if they can, if they can figure out a way where they can make it clear to fans in the stadium, um, as you know, whilst keeping the flow of the game, you know, uh, I think that you know that is the only way it would work. Um, you know, some kind of Tannoy announcement, I think, seems like the logical decision to me because it can be done quite quickly rather than having to, you know, upload, um, you know, a graphic on the screen. And I don't know how they, what the process is behind that um, and how quick it can be done. But for me, you know, just a simple Tannoy announcement would make the most sense. Mm. I mean, maybe you could even mic up the fourth official. Could be so that yeah. way. That way, you're not delaying the game. That exactly. would be one of his jobs, other than corralling the official, corralling the coaching staff, and putting up a board. <laughs> he's basically, yeah, he's basically a boxing ref, isn't he? So you know, he might as well do something more productive. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mikey, we were just talking before you dropped on about probable outgoings. Um, the incomings are pretty obvious. I think everybody knows that we need a striker of some way, shape or form. Um, That's very low hanging fruit. You know, we could talk about that for the next three hours. Um, But in terms of outgoings, uh, we'd mentioned David Proper, almost definitely a goner. Bissouma, sadly, almost definitely, you know, seeing his way out to to bigger things. Um, There was a bit of conversation Matt was mentioning, you know, how long, how much longer do we give Ali Razor the chance, uh, you know, and if and if we stop giving him the chance, who does he go to? Uh, mm. Are there any others in the squad that you're considering that you think you know what these are kind of deadwood depth players we could see with with shipping out? Similar to Duffy and, and Montoya last year, mm. they were they were good players, but they just weren't the kind of players that we needed as depth. We needed we were you know ready to invest in a bit younger options and you know Kobovnik and and others. Um, well, Johanbash was the one that I was thinking of because. I'm pretty sure there was an article in the the Athletic a few months ago saying that he was starting to like lose his patience basically because mm. he wasn't getting much game time. But that has started to change. Um, again, it's a, it's a bit similar to uh, Bissouma, but I I wouldn't be surprised if another big club comes along and says, right, we'll give you X amount if you give us Lewis Dunk because of how good he is. Yes, he's homegrown and everything like that, and you know, and he is ours. Um, and no one wants to see him go, but I think that's very similar to Basuma that he is so, so good. What is to say that another top team doesn't want to try and take him away from us? I think there were rumours last year that Liverpool wanted him, but didn't get him. And then he's done even better this year. So I think it's definitely possible that something will come up about it. But whether he goes, I think it's much less likely he'll go than Basuma, of course. But um Possible. Do you think? Do you think that we would? Because to me, I feel I would be blown away if we let both go in the same summer. Um, do you think that if we let Basuma go, there's almost no chance, right, of us of us letting him go? Why? I mean, or do you think there is a possibility that we let both go and reinvest a lot of that money into, you know, a striker? Because we do have so many centre half options. You know, we have Matt Clark out there that's got player of the season, I think second year running in the championship, he's following the very same footsteps Adam Webster followed. Uh, he's Except he's already our player, uh, which is nice. Um, Ostergaard put in a hell of a shift for Coventry and he's very, very vocal about the fact that he wants a chance to break into the team. Um, that that Van Heck or Van Hecke or whatever his name is, is out on loan in Europe as well. Uh, and we spent a couple of million on him. Do you think that 
Bloom would be willing to let both go and and trust in Potter and the reinvestment to to kind of cover both because they are massive players and Matt that can become come to you too because I'm not sure on the answer myself I, I'm, I'm trying to think of my own opinion and I'm not sure what I think um, do you think that Bloom would be willing to let both go in the same summer <sighs> this is a really tricky one I mean I wasn't thinking, <laughs> I wasn't thinking of Lewis Dunk um, initially but now you mention it you know he has had a, an incredible season and he's you know I think if he gets picked for England then suddenly it's a different story Um and that is another debate altogether. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about Ben White because, um, and obviously we had the bids from Leeds last season, which were quite low, low ball in my opinion, um, because I think what they were trying to do is capitalise on the fact that he hadn't had any Premier League experience and that they could potentially get him for cheaper. Uh, but now that he's proved himself to be entirely capable at this level uh, and has had, you know, for the most part, kind of a stellar season, he's been like a Rolls-Royce defender, I think he's been described as. Um, suddenly his price tag has shot up, I say, you know, and that makes him an interesting candidate for this discussion because, you know, he's clearly on the radar of a lot of the big clubs. Um, you know, they know now that they're going to have to pay a lot more for him than they would have done last season. Um, but maybe they were biding their time thinking, okay, well, let's see how we can do in the Premier League for a season and then we'll come in. So I think we need to be wary of that too. Um, and I think the club would be more willing to list to offers for, for Ben White than Dunk perhaps just because of the leadership factor that Dunk offers. Um, and I think we'd probably be able to command a much higher price for White to get exactly, his age. Yeah. And he's young, he's English. I mean, you're looking, you know, him and Basuma between them, you could get up to a hundred million. So if not more, you know, probably on adults yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot you can do with a hundred million, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hopefully we won't go down the Spurs route and after the Gareth Bale sale and the, waste it on five useless players yeah uh, <laughs> for real I don't think that would be very bright well you never know after you take a look at Ali Reza and Lacadia and, and Done who has failed to, to perform as well as we'd like as well you never know true. We've, yeah that's true we tend to we tend to do very well recruiting defensively but offensively we seem to be so so hit and miss um, yeah. signing good players Mikey, do you think that they would be willing to let both go? And if, and even better question, would you mind if they, would you take, would you take 115 million right now for both of them <laughs> on the, on the prerequisite that it's going to all be reinvested into the squad? Um, Personally, if I was in Tony Bloom's situation, no, because I think that's too much of a risk to do all in one go. I think if he were to do it, at least do it over two seasons, something like that and have more of a transition period. But do I want to see them both go at all? Or do I want to see any of them go? No. Do I want to see both of them go? Still no. Um, I would probably say that we should, you know, maybe let go of one, see where we are, then let go of the other. You know, we don't want to take too much of a jump all in one go. Um, you know, I think it's a bit, a bit too much of a risk. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Um, if we were looking to reinvest, say we sold one of them at least and got you know fifty odd million from, and we've signed a striker. Say we do it. Say we actually go out and spend twenty five thirty million on another striker. Uh, we've got twenty twenty five million left. What other parts of the pitch would you both want us to look at? I think for me, 
I would I wouldn't be upset if we went for some depth at fullback, wing back, or even just outright a, a left wing back to to compete fully with Solly March, if not beat him out from that position and allow him to play further forward at times. Um, yeah, I would love I mean, to sign a left wing back, but other than that, what what are the spots on the pitch? Yeah, I would agree with you on the left wing back. I mean, I was saying this earlier on in the season, even when Solly was having a you know fantastic. Uh, you know, beginning of the season, um, that we needed more depth in that position, and and even with Burn and Moda proving that they can they can fill in in those spots, we still need we need more depth. Otherwise, you know, I think if we resign ourselves to losing Basuma, then you know who's going to fill his role? Um, you know, there's talk that you know Moda is more suited to a central role and could fill in um, for him. Um, you know, and he's basically playing out of position on the left. So he would be a sort of natural uh, successor to Bissouma. Um, Kaiseido, I don't think, is you know has had any Premier League experience, so be uh, a bit um, of a stretch to imagine that he could step up at the stage. So, um, but then is you know do we need another player you know of that sort of mould? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Mikey, thoughts? Uh, well, it's a tough one. Um, uh, yeah. Um, oh, on the spot now. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just. I'm, I. I don't know. Let me have a think. Well, I um, think if you if you sorry to interrupt you there, Mikey. I think if you if you send Connolly out on loan, and you know, let's say Welbeck does sign a new contract with us even though he may have other suitors. Um, and either Izquierdo or Andoni or both of them leave, then suddenly you have three strikers. You've got Zakiri, Welbeck and Mope. Yep. With the addition of Tao, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, clearly something's going to have to happen up front. Um, we know that, um, but possibly even two. Um, it'd be very interesting to see what happens in that, you know, in 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 this in the sort of the striker saga because I think it would be very unbrightened to just go out and splash out on a on a, on a you know and spend a fortune on someone you know and break the wage structure um, without at least finding a way to move on the ambush. Um, I, mean, I don't know what Andoni and Izquierdo get per month, but you know that that has to be taken into account as well. I think. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's definitely a case. Um, I suspect that Bazuma, you know, I think if we were trying to keep him, um, I think we probably would have to break the wage structure again. Um, I yeah. feel like I feel like we are breaking the wage structure almost every year with giving a dunk a new contract. <laughs> um, I feel like we're almost just upping it almost every year to keep Lewis happy. Uh, and I think he's worth every penny. You know, I think he's been yeah. superb again this season. He's just he's never dropped in his performances. Um, but in terms of the striker option, I think it's obviously the big risk as well that you never know if that player is going to be what you want him to be. Um, I mean, I know if you've listened to my podcast, I'm dying for us to sign Paul Onoachi from Genk. He is just everything I think we need in a striker. Six foot seven, 26, scored 33 and 35. He's played in the Champions League. He's scored against Manchester United. He knows that kind of, he's physical, he's big. And he probably is going to be under 30 million if we wanted to sign him. 
but there's just as much an opportunity that he ends up coming over and being like Joel Ins and, and scores two in 40 games. And it's like, well, shit, <laughs> that was a waste of money. Um, it's one of those, it's going to be an interesting thing. I do wonder if we do splash the cash, especially when we've just done it with Mopai, right? We did it two years ago with Mopai, 25 million. And yeah. he's scored 18 goals in 60 odd games, which isn't great for a player that should have been scoring a lot more. What's your take on um, Tammy Abraham at Chelsea being out of favour? I would bite your hand off for him. Yeah. Uh, but I, unfortunately, I think that a lot of other clubs will bite your hand off for him. And I think they're all going to be teams that are going to be able to afford him a lot more than us, like Everton, yeah. Um, yeah. Newcastle, maybe even, um, you know, these teams, uh, Aston Villa. You know, if they if Aston Villa can play with an, an option of Tammy Abraham or Ollie Watkins up front, that they're going to score a lot of goals. Um, yeah. Again, Everton after after Calvert Lewin, they don't have anyone else. If they can have both, um, and and Ancelotti is not afraid of playing two up front, you know, they could be mm. deadly as well. So, I think yeah. I would love him to come to the Albion. I think he is again the sort of mold of a striker we need. We're needing. He's basically a foot three inches shorter than Onoachi that does the same job. Like he's, <laughs> he's, and he, and he fits the mold in young English, young, young and English as well, that the Albion have clearly turned their attention to in recent, since Ashworth came in. Um, yeah. I, I just can't see us falling his wages. What do you think? Yeah. I'm not sure quite how much he would, um, he would be asking for. Um, but I just wonder, you know, like I'm, I, I hear, you know, that there's going to be, suitors out there for them and they may well have more to offer but if we do you know release some of our wage structure this this summer um say we do you know lose Basuma, and you have players like Lamptey from you know who's come from Chelsea he will he would you know he'll know uh he will have a former relationship with um sorry with Abraham <laughs> yeah. um you know you, you think of the success story that he he is as a, you know, having made that decision to, to basically leave the club where there was no opportunity to play and come and, you know, turn into a star of a night. You know, I just wonder whether that might not be at the back of his mind. Yeah. I, I think that is also one of those things that, that gives us a lot of movement. Right. I think that yeah. same goes for, for a lot of the time I look at those Belgian league, cause I feel like the Albion get a lot of success from the Belgian league. Um, so I'm always keeping an eye on it for for good players, and I mean mm. Trossard. Trossard played for Genk two years ago. Like he yeah. he would be a great person to be like, look at what I'm doing here. I'm playing week in week out in the best league in the world. Uh, I'll make sure you score goals. And same goes for like you said, Lamptey. Um, you know he's he's an excellent person to, to and 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 Lalana too, of course. Like yeah. you know, a, an English very much a leader. You know the conversation he can have and be like, "Here's what I did. This is why it was worth me making the trip down here." Um, Absolutely, that's two two players at the very two total different ends of their career that can both sell him on the fact that he mm. would be, you know, very happy here. Um, and he's still only yeah. 23, which is mental to me. Still only 23. Yeah, I mean, I'd be very surprised if we're not in the shout at least for for Abraham this summer. I, I agree. I think would be absolutely insane to not at least try. <laughs> um, in ter- is he is he going for free or would he be just going for a transfer? Do you know? I'm not sure when his contract expires. I don't think he's out of contract. Um, 
you know, I mean, I, I don't think they would go for a loan deal. Maybe other clubs would, but I don't think Albion would. Um, would you? Would you take him on loan for a year? If it was kind of a stopgap to... I mean, we did it with Aaron Moy, didn't we? And We did. I, you know, that worked out well for the time it lasted. So, yeah, it's not inconceivable that they would do that, actually. Mikey, thoughts? Would you take him? Would you take Tammy? Would you take Tammy Abraham on loan for like six million in a fee? Would you take him on loan for a year? Oh, um, well, it's just a, a risk that you always take. Uh, you know, is he is it going to work? I mean, we had things like um, how can I describe it? We had things like uh, Neil Mope, for example. They came in and it's like brilliant, and he scored in his first goal, first game at Watford, brilliant. And then it just went downhill. If he doesn't fit the mould, if he doesn't work well with um, the manager, the, the whole team, for example, yeah. then it's not going to work. Um, you know, you could even go out there and say that, not that I think it's going to happen, but for example, even uh, some of the great goal scorers like Harry Kane and Aguero, not that I think we're going to get them, but yes, they score loads of goals. I think Harry Kane's on what, 22, 23 now? 23, I think. If he doesn't today. fit, if he weren't to fit when he got to Brighton, he's not going to get anywhere near that, is he? Um, and so I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Looking at the looking at the free agent list, that of course players could sign contracts and it doesn't matter. Uh, but if if we were able to to get any of these on loan uh, as a free agent, do any of these stand out to you? Uh, we've got Dwight Gale, uh, Olivier Giroud. Uh, Edison, oh no, Cavani just signed his new deal. Benteke, um, and obviously Aguero is going to Barcelona, and that's outrageous anyway. Could you imagine if we signed him? Um, in terms of those, you know, I would love, in some ways, I'd love Giroud, but I just don't think he would be a player that A, we could afford, and B, would be interested. But do you think almost even a player like that? no matter how good he is, do you think that he would be one of those players that Mikey, like you were saying, wouldn't fit into the Albion system because he's almost a, a more stylish Glenn Murray. That's essentially what Giroud is. Like he's, he's still not a fast, hardworking individual. He's a, he's a good striker, but he's not what our system would want. Yeah. I, I, I can see why his name has been brought up and it's not the first, you're not the first person to mention it. Um, and I think he would be effective in certain situations, but you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, if you're if you're getting a situational player for you know the kind of wages he'd be on, I think it just doesn't make sense, you know. Um, yeah, okay, we could get him off out of contract. Is that right? He'd be out of contract. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so, Giroud is totally out of contract. Yeah. But you know, what's he going to be asking for um, wages wise? I mean, it's probably going to be astronomical for Brighton standards. And I, th- I just think, um, I don't think we'd be willing to pay that much for somebody who he would probably, yeah, be a situational player because he, there's no way he fits into the sort of the, the striker mold that we, we've become used to under Graham Potter. Yep. You know, he just doesn't have that pace. I mean, he's probably faster than he, than he, than he appears, but he's not like a pressing forward or a defensive forward by any stretch. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't have no. anything else. Do you two have anything else before we wrap up? I wonder if there's anybody else lurking in the championship that we uh, we've overlooked. I mean, I haven't given it much. Um, 
thoughts at the moment, but I think the obvious one is, of course, Ivan Tony uh, that I hear every other day. I think he's probably going to go for into the well into the thirty millions, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's out of our level. Yeah. Um, and I think he is also one of those players I could see going to an Everton or a West Ham that are going to spend a. I mean, they're going to pay double what we were wage-wise. Um, Pukki is coming back up, so obviously I don't think he would be coming anywhere near us. Uh, and I think the only other one that you would probably have a conversation about that I've seen people talk about is Adam Armstrong for Blackburn. Uh, he's scored 28 goals this season. Um, he's been absolutely mental. Um, but I think, and I, I don't know a great deal about him, Mikey, if you do, feel free to pipe up. Um, but I, I, I think he plays very similar uh, to the way that, that Mopai plays. I don't think he's a big player. I think he's, you know, slightly smaller than Mopai. He's very quick. He plays almost like a more well-refined Aaron Connolly. Um, and again, I'm not sure if that's what we need at this level. I feel like we could do, I think, feel like we need someone with a presence. Because um, a lot of those crosses into the box doesn't go anywhere. We've not got anyone tall enough to challenge for him. Wasn't there just, you know, some um, talk going around about Milik uh, from Napoli, who I think has been on loan at Marseille uh, this season. And I think he's he hasn't played that much, but he's scored eight goals this season for Marseille. Um, and I believe he might be out of contract at the end of the season. I mean, he fits the bill of what of what we would be looking to get. Um, yeah, he. I mean, he scored eight goals in 14 games in Marseille. So that's, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a goal a game. That's not bad um, yeah. at all. And and he scored plenty at Napoli too. Um, in fact, he scored goals everywhere he went, actually, uh, which mm. makes me wonder why he keeps being sent out on loan to places. Um, I know that another one that stands out for me is Johnson Clark Harris for Peterborough. Um, obviously, they just got promoted to the championship, um, uh, but he is 26, English, uh, he's just about the same kind of height and build as Ivan Tony, um, but he scored for fun uh, for Peterborough. He he scored four. He played forty five games this season. Scored thirty one goals. Uh, he played for Bristol Rovers the year before that. Forty two games, twenty four goals. Very much in the Vardy mold of coming up through the lower leagues and just scoring goals for fun. Um, for me, I feel like I feel like he's got a bit of a personal history in terms. Of, I think he's been in trouble with the law once or twice I feel like I've read and I'm not sure if that would be a hard no for the Albion um but to me I feel like we're all I feel like we're more likely to look at someone like him than we are Ivan Tony because I think it's going to be a lot more affordable for us cool all right well We'll see soon enough. Um, hopefully the Euros don't delay sign-ins too much. Uh, I feel like the Albion will have had their ducks in a row and I think that they'll probably get out there and start this this going as soon as possible. I feel like we usually do since uh, since Ashworth and Potter and everybody come in. We don't tend to hang around. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they know exactly what they're going to do already and they're just waiting for the last game of the season and they're going to do their business very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, likewise, I, I won't be at all shocked to hear that Brighton are already in preliminary talks about moving Basuma on. It yeah. won't shock me at all if we've already yeah. had a conversation or two with teams that are like, yes, this is what we'll pay. And yeah. So, 
All right, cool. So uh, I'll let you both go. Thank you for coming on, uh, both of you. It was a it was a good chat, um, and it's always nice to chat after a win. Even better to chat after a three two win against the champions of England, possibly the champions of Europe in a, what ten days. So that might that might that might have changed after after last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, all right, cool. So thank you all for coming on. Uh, have a good rest of your week and we'll be uh, we'll be back on, on Sunday with Arsenal and I'll be probably twitching right after the game. So twitching sounds, sounds funny, uh, but I will be uh, on air after the game. So have a good rest of your day, everybody watching uh, and, and to you two as well, Matt and, and Mikey. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Josh. Cheers. Have a good one.